Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He koonai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. We're working here and there. I met uh, Connie Francis at the Chevron Hilton Hotel here in Sydney when I was working there. And I met one of my favourite two jazz singers, Nancy Wilson and Ella Fitzgerald at the Chevron Hilton Hotel. Kia ora, you're listening to Eyewitness and I'm Sonia Yee. In this episode, we take a look at an iconic figure who paved the way for the trans community in New Zealand. Born in 1936, Kamandrupe is a renowned entertainer and entrepreneur with a larger-than-life personality, but her birth name was Trevor Tione Rupe. I met Neil Sadaka, Jackie Chan. But she changed her name, the one she became known for, and it was inspired by another Carmen. I copied it from a, a very famous flamenco dancer. She's dead now, and uh, her name was Carmen Amaya. And in my late teenage and early 20s, I used to do Spanish belly dancing and flamenco dancing. Carmen grew up on a farm in Tamaranui. She came from a large family. But I realised I was very different at the age of eight. And I'm from a family of ten, and they're mostly all boys in our family. When I was born, my mother wanted a girl. She wanted me to do everything that a, a young girl would do. And I had to do the shopping. She used to dress me up very feminine. And I didn't realise anything like that until I became a teenager. I had several encounters with her over the, the decades that I was aware of her. Dame Catherine Healy is a sex workers' rights activist. In the 70s, I remember her. She was such a distant figure for me in my life at that time. I was a schoolgirl. But later on, when I took up the work of the NZPC, the New Zealand Prostitutes Collective, obviously I came in touch with her. And it would have been sometime in the 90s when I first met her. And it was at a you know group occasion where it had to do with HIV and AIDS and of course you know our work and the work of the New Zealand AIDS Foundation um, was very full on in those decades and you know Carmen lent her weight to support us you know when she'd come back to New Zealand um, she'd be available to do lunches and promotional things. I well recall 1994 and we had just opened our community base on Willis Street. We'd had one in Upper Cuba Street. Shortly after we opened, we had a an arson attack and our dear little wooden um, place was smoked out and so we had to get it um, painted and glammed up and Carmen came along and informally opened the new place for us. So I, I remember her sitting there bouncing babies and chatting and, you know, it was a really homely scene and different sex workers were floating around and we, of course, were all in awe of Carmen, but, you know, she was oblivious to that. There was something that was kind of magnetic, would you say? 
She certainly had a presence, you know, in that context she came across as being quite humble. It felt like she was one of us, you know, we have a very eclectic group in terms of, you know, not only NZPC but the sex industry as such is um, incredibly representative of every kind of person. I only met her in these sorts of contexts, you know, where it was really, you know, understated. Carmen, you know, struck me as being very quiet. She didn't have a show-off kind of manner, very approachable, and she sat there and she'd answer and speak and she wasn't the life and soul of the party sort of character in that context. When I came back from overseas, I went back to Wellington again and opened up an international coffee bar, Carmen's Coffee Lounge in a striptease nightclub, the balcony in Victoria Street, which today, it's a library. It was done all beautiful and exotic. I had drag queens, female impersonators. I had prostitutes and lesbians, gay guys all working for me because in that era, it was very, very hard for people like us to get work. I had a few other times with her, and which was really fun. We went to a book launch, and after there was um, Georgina Byer, myself, um, and Georgina had just finished on Dancing with the Stars, and we were in this um, apartment in Sydney, and it's one of those sort of memorable nights. And even in that context, Carmen seemed to be very understated, and the rest of us were you know, having a great old time. But, yeah, she struck me as being very warm, too. Later on, Tim Barnett and I, and Tim, of course, sponsored the Prostitution Reform Act through Parliament in 2003. He was a member of the Labour Party and supported us to develop this legislation to change significantly New Zealand's approach to sex workers. And, of course, you know, Carmen was... Um, supportive of that initiative and Tim and I were wandering around the sex worker zones in Sydney and we came across Carmen and we had a nice chat there too and I mean she was you know clearly working and you know really really pleased to see us and I got a ticking off because she said oh you know you should have rung you should have told me (laughs) you were going to come you know which was really nice to hear because you think you know she's such an iconic figure and you know she'd be rushed off her feet with all sorts of people wanting to have her time. So, that you know, I felt that was really generous of her. And while Tim and I were talking to her, there was a really young man hovering, obviously waiting for us to clear off so um, he could pick up Carmen. And they were advertising for female impersonators who can do any kind of dancing. And I saw they wanted a hula dancer or a Tahitian hula dancer so I know being Maori, I thought, well, I look Tahitian, I'll go and apply for the job. And their cabaret was called the Black and Tan Show, and it was sort of Negro and a Polynesian at a Latin Quarter in uh, Sydney, and I got the job, and it was terrific. And obviously New South Wales decriminalised sex work before we did, and so she could, you know, have a reflection on that as well although you know street-based sex work is quite heavily zoned in Sydney and we don't have that approach in New Zealand so you have to stand in certain streets you're not to be within view of 
a church, uh, you know, practically everything really. I remember talking when we stood on the street with Carmen that night, asking her about the time when she was summoned to appear before the Select Committee at Parliament and casually referred to knowing that politicians had paid for sex with sex workers and was summoned to a select committee to explain herself. She turned her ear to me and then turned away. And I thought, oh, I've just had Carmen's deaf ear. I thought that was kind of indicative, really, that she was discreet. Yet she was never afraid to speak her mind. I like to see uh, homosexual and uh, gay clubs or lesbian clubs or prostitution, homosexual, whatever it is, I like to see it legal in New Zealand and I think it'll protect young children and I found that most of these people that do get caught for homosexuality or or prostitution or anything like that are all society girls or big businessmen who have such a wonderful education. You know, she remained a supporter of sex worker rights, you know, like she really did pave the way, you know, the hypocrisy really, of the approach, the frustration with the law and so on. So she wasn't ducking those hard discussions. Were you surprised that her experience in the sex industry didn't limit her potential to kind of grow her persona in the public eye? No, I think it added to her. You know, like, I think her faces were many. Because in some ways, her being trans probably made that easier for the public to go, okay, well, you don't fit into a stereotypical box anyway, so you can almost be who you want to be. You know, I think women in general, you know, and trans women, we battle that prejudice. There's a heck of a loading there in terms of sexual agency that complicates things that perhaps isn't there in Mm. the same way for trans women. With her involvement and contribution to the sex industry, what other kind of areas did it sort of highlight And I think the obvious one, you know, the enormous double standard, you know, that it was always going to be the sex worker or the club owner who was going to be at fault and not the punter. Not that we'd want, you know, to import the Nordic model, which is exactly that kind of thing where the clients are prosecuted. So, I mean, I guess she highlighted that big divide. But of course, through the years, Carmen's mobility suffered. Not that it stopped her from being out and about. And the last time I saw Carmen, about 2010, she was in her little red cart and I was on my way to the offices of Scarlet Alliance, which is the peak body sex worker organisation in Sydney. And once again, it was a coincidental um, encounter and, you know, she was coming across this big intersection and waving and there we were once again on a street corner And, you know, we had a quick catch-up and a gossip about the different kinds of things that were happening for sex workers. You know, I can see it vividly. So when she passed away, how did you feel? Do you remember when you heard the news? I do, and each time I saw Carmen, I thought, gosh, this may be the last time. Yeah, sad, you know, sad that she's no longer here. You couldn't meet Carmen and not remember her. She was undeniably herself. And nothing scared her, other than, well, hungry snakes. I was living in Sydney at the time, and I was in my 20s, and I lived with this Egyptian girl. Uh, She came from Cairo, and when she was leaving, she thought she'd like to talk to me the snake dance, and I was a bit scared about it all. They were uh, both eight foot long. One was a diamond and one was a carpet. And you have to feed them first, 
and it takes them four days to digest their meal. And you've got to dance with them then because once they're really hungry, you're out of the bait, so you've got to make sure they're fed with mice and guinea pigs. I think they're sadistic because they don't like anything dead. They like to kill it, and I don't know whether a snake can hear, but I always found that they like to hear it squealing for some time before they kill it. I stand on the shoulders of, uh, obviously, people like Carmen, people like Nicole Duval, Chrissy Wheatuckle, Jackie Grant. Georgina Byer was the first openly transgender mayor and New Zealand's first transgender MP. She has lots of memories of Carmen. So Carmen, at the time I arrived in the uh, Wellington nightlife scene, I guess, was a beacon of safety and a place where we sort of belonged. In those days, the mid-1970s, when I came along at the ripe old age of 16, Carmen's Coffee Lounge, the balcony, places like that that she had, it was often a base from where we might um, meet people or be hooked up by Madame Carmen. What does that mean? (laughs) I'll leave it to your imagination. Some of them were burlesque and striptease dancers because they opened up this big show. We used to be packed every night. And we had a variety, which was good, of customers. A lot of businessmen came along. Carmen, I think, upon reflection, had a great deal of manakitanga, a beautiful spirit and a mana, a wairua, that although she was this extraordinary person, she had a lot of compassion, particularly for those who were down and out, underprivileged. The law worked against us, so we had to live in this twilight zone, I guess. As only recently in the last three or four years, I noticed that a lot of kids are smoking. They're about 12, 13, 14. I try my best not to let them sell drugs in my coffee bar or nightclub. I'm frightened. I don't know very much about things like that. I just wait till they come to and ask them to leave. Carmen had these establishments. Hers became a safe place for many in the rainbow community to feel that they could be themselves there and she, in a way, sort of protected us from the haters or the homophobes. She was just this omnipresent figure who was out and proud and never deviated from it and she had this incredible... um, ability in hospitality and people felt comfortable with her she could crack a joke and laugh at herself laugh at them you know I actually came to know her much better later in life. Were you kind of intimidated by her initially? No not intimidated by her uh, sort of in awe of her because she was just an awesome presence anyhow and she had very little in the way of judgment about you. But Carmen wasn't the only trans person who was fighting for the rights of those in the community. Carmen's mythology has sort of gone so far that it actually misses out people who were as important. Chrissy Wheatuckle comes to mind. She took over the coffee lounge and then it became the Evergreen, which which was also an absolute coffee institution. People like Jackie Grant, they were Carmen's contemporaries. And so to them, Carmen was no more special than they were.
except Carmen had an ability to capture her audience's imagination. The now-defunct Truth newspaper probably uh, remained alive for some time with the stories they got to write about Carmen because of her personality and who she was and the sort of uh, scandal that would surround her, not to mention her cavernous cleavage, which titivated a lot of people who would look at her. She also had an ability to relate to anyone, and that opened lots of opportunities. People just gravitated towards her. You know, from the good and the great uh, to the lowest of the low, she bridged a gap there. Although, on occasion, she also found herself in sticky situations. In the early 60s, she had a short stint in prison for a charge she denied, permitting premises to be used as a brothel. I went to jail, supposed to be for nine months, but the superintendent said, because I've been so nice and so sweet, we'll make it six months. But it gave you a lot of time to think too, and, and I was very lucky. I thought, here I am going to be cracking rocks and cracking stones. And, and because her identity challenged societal norms, becoming political was a byproduct of her standing up for what she believed in and ultimately being true to herself. Let's just say, Carmen wasn't particularly politically aware. She just knew that she came from a world that was not treated fairly or equally and uh, she pointed out things in the area of human rights such as homosexual law reform and, and prostitution reform and many other things that were sort of like taboo subjects. Her public comments on those matters uh, arose during her um, mayoral candidacy for the Wellington City, backed by Sir Robert Jones. And that was a public platform in which Carmen could actually say these things, of course, got widely reported. She attracted the media, who followed her every step. My dress designer in, in Sydney made a beautiful dress for a model and she did go topless to the races in, in Sydney. So 12 years later when I came back here, I was getting very bored. I thought to myself, well, should I go to the races topless or not? And the Governor-General of the day was there and a photo opportunity came up. So the photo was about to be taken and she um, revealed all of her cleavage. She just dropped the top of her dress a bit. And it would be funny things like that that the general sort of Joe Blow out there would have a wee giggle at because it would be page three in the truth or something. And how did that go down, like, at the time? I guess it started to sort of uh, make a mockery of some of the um, the norms of the day and, and politeness and correctness, and she just pushed it a little bit with just those little moments. And every day was show day. She was somebody that you couldn't help but notice. Carmen would always say any publicity is good publicity, especially pertaining to her businesses. And I guess if she was up front and out there, she was obviously the image that people would know instantly. I mean, she would on occasions dress in her beautiful Vinca Lucas ball gowny things with her hair and all the botanic garden in it and everything, sailing like a galleon down Cuba Mall. She knew every single shop keeper because she sort of did that walk almost every day and actually the funny thing is watching as she's walked by the expressions and the looks of the public who are watching said oh my god they were sort of wow 
but ooh. And I guess what I'm getting at is that she helped to desensitise the imagery. People were aware of drag queens, drag artistry, really. It's more a performance vehicle, but karma was, you know, a transsexual. That was the lingo of the day, not these days with terms like transgender, which has got about 30 definitions to it, and even I get confused. But there was also another side to her. A lot of people think it must be fantastic and fascinating being a show person, but you can be a lonely person too sometimes. But while Carmen may have felt lonely, she was a kind of person who others felt comforted by, and Georgina was someone who wanted to give something back to the woman who had inspired her to keep moving forward on her own path. When Georgie Girl, the documentary about my life, played in Sydney at Open Their Film Festival, and so it was a red carpet event. Well, naturally, I took Carmen with me. She features in it a lot. It was wonderful to be able to do that for her, to take her to a big red carpet event in a fabulous theatre in downtown Sydney, 1,500-odd people. And I made a point during the Q&A after she was sitting up in the circle and that I pointed her out. And she got up and did her usual waves and bows, which was wonderful, and they all gave her a standing ovation because they'd just seen her in the film and suddenly realised, you know, wow, this person. And little gestures like that, it was nice for me, a person who's a little 16-year-old who came into her coffee lounge, and here we are all these years later, and I can do this for you. But that's not all Georgina was able to do for Carmen. In a photograph outside Parliament, Carmen stands front and centre. Georgina standing poised behind her with her left hand resting on Carmen's shoulder. They smile, looking into the camera. A snapshot taken on Carmen's 70th birthday. Uh, We thought, oh, let's have uh, Carmen to Parliament for dinner at Bellamy's. And so we organised that, and I had flippantly said to Carmen, oh, and just, you know, bring, you know, a couple of friends if you, you know, don't want to come alone. And Carmen was always full of surprises. But it was about sharing the love. Well, about 20 turned up, (laughs) which was fine. And it was just wonderful to have her uh, back at Parliament because it was the first time she had gone back to the Parliament buildings uh, since she had been hauled in front of the Privileges Committee in about 1975-76 by Robert Muldoon. She had suggested in a television interview that she knew of at least one homosexual in Parliament. And there were serious repercussions. For a civilian to be hauled in front of the Privileges Committee is not common. It's actually quite a serious thing to be censured, and of course she was never allowed to reveal, mention or anything like that. If she did, she would have been in serious trouble. So bringing Carmen back to Parliament was almost like giving her some kind of closure the big celebration of her achievements. So, to come back to the birthday, we had some photos taken on the front steps of Parliament because I said to Carmen, no, 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 you're not going through the beehive entrance, you're going to walk up those goddamn steps that you did all those years ago through the front door, my dear. (laughs) And, of course, the press gallery came out the buzz went around Parliament that she was there, so we arrive in Bellamy's and we all get ourselves seated. The dinner bell rang for the dinner break and the house rose, and as MPs sort of uh, and other people started to drift into Bellamy's, they were confronted with this gaggle of queens. <laughs> 
and I can remember Wayne Mapp saying to me that he walked in there and the first thing that hit him was this perfume because everyone wore Charlie or, you know, White Diamonds or something like that and you can imagine it all just went through the air conditioning system probably. All these queens were dressed up to the nines because it was their first time ever at Bellamy's and how wonderful. Helen Clark, Prime Minister, came and sat down and ate with her. Every MP that came in went and paid homage to Mm. It was a marvellous moment And I think in many ways that sums up The bridges that Carmen crossed and built That all of those years later she could receive that respect. Much deserved. Much deserved. Carmen had a huge impact on Georgina's life and left a legacy behind that will never be forgotten. And I never mind that if she did at all, she might claim me for a protégé and that I did what she attempted, like the mayoral thing, and I did it. Then Parliament came and, uh, you know, the first to do it a wonderful continuation of a legacy for her and all of those whose shoulders I stand on. Now I'm of an age, I guess, that I'm the one whose shoulders the future is standing upon. Me and many others who have fought the good fight over the decades. I'm just one of the lucky ones, I guess, who got to be out there. My mother and grandparents didn't care whether you were came from an unwanted home, whoever you are, there was always love in our family and we believed in live and let live. Special thanks to Natonga Sound and Vision for archival audio of Carmen. I'm Sonia Yee, producer and host of this episode of Eyewitness and the sound engineer was Phil Benj. If you'd like to listen or to find out more, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash eyewitness or you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So... Talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.